Well, while you're standing, if you could grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis as we will continue our series today, the Genesis 2.24 principle. The Genesis 2.24 principle as we continue to preach on marriage and the glory of God and how God desires to receive glory from all Christian marriages. You know, there once was a Catholic priest who was really known for his intelligence and all of his members were always on guard because they knew how intelligent he was and they would always prepare themselves for conversations with him. And one day he walked up to uh, a member of his church and he asked him a question. He said, sir, how, how is your marriage going? And the gentleman heard that he had been going around asking this question to all those who were married. So he had already prepared a very spiritual answer for him. And he looks at the priest and he says, well, if I could articulate my answer this way. Uh, just bear with me. He looked at the priest and he said, well, sir, I know that you're a spiritual man, so I'm going to make sure that I break this down to you uh, with a spiritual answer. He said, as I think about my marriage, I, I think about hell. And uh, I, I'm thankful because I can say that my marriage is not equivalent to that of hell. For, for hell is the worst, he said. And, and as I think about my marriage, I think about heaven. I think about how perfect heaven is and how wonderful it is. And he said, well, my marriage definitely cannot be described as being heaven. So he says, I know how much you believe in purgatory. So I would say that my marriage is more like purgatory. I'm just waiting on the day where God will call me out of it. And the priest looked at him and he said... <laughs> He says, son, the Lord has not called us to have a marriage that is equivalent to purgatory. Purgatory is a holding place that Catholics believe is an intermediate position between heaven and hell. And as I, I think about most Christian marriages, and we know that us as Christians that we do not believe in purgatory, uh, I believe that too many of us, we would describe our marriage as purgatory. And God has not called us to be in a marriage that, is a, that, that, that we're simply just dealing with. God has called us to experience his glory through the relationship uh, between uh, a husband and a wife. Amen. And the only way that we will experience the glory of God and enjoy our marriages in a way that, uh, that God has attended is if we go to his operating manual. It's as if we go to his word. Now, I, I know what some of you are saying, uh, Pastor Jamal, Reverend Jamal, J-Dub, uh, J-Will, William J. Holler. Uh, you've been married three months and you want to tell me about how God can be glorified in my marriage. And I just want to encourage you uh, by telling you three things. Number one. The principles that I'm going to teach is a principle that was laid down from the foundation of the earth. Uh, and it's over 6,000 years old. 
Uh, so God has more experience with marriage than you do. And that's why I'm going to stick strictly to the word of God. Number two, <laughs> the person who talks most about marriage and who gave us, who, who reiterated this principle was Jesus Christ. And he was not married. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul, who was pastoring uh, over 13 churches, was the apostle overseer of at least 13 churches, probably more than that, uh, himself was not married. Uh, so your issue with me and, and my experience with marriage is a very invalid one. And if you would like to have a philosophical or spiritual debate about it later, I am in the office between 9 and 4. Uh, no, I'm just joking. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 24, when you get there, say, got it. got it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, uh, and I'm going to go up to verse 23 to remind us of what Adam said about Eve when he first saw Eve, when God first gave him his wife. And he says, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast. To his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Amen. Today we are dealing with a subject that is very controversial. It's a subject. Uh, that is fun to talk about, a fun topic, marriage. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I do not stand before you ignorant, knowing that it's a very controversial issue. Uh, you know, as we look at marriage, the, the, the obvious thing uh, with those who, as we deal with the subject of marriage, is divorce. Uh, we know that many uh, have suffered and are suffering from the wounds of divorce. And I'm not just talking about outside of the doors. I'm talking about inside of the doors. Amen. Divorce is a very, very real issue. So I pray that as I minister today, uh, that you would hear the grace of God uh, in the passages that we are, are, are speaking from. And that you would hear grace in my voice. I'm well aware, as statistics show, uh, that 29 or 30 percent of Baptists have went through a divorce. So I know that the subject of marriage can be one uh, that, that hurts. Amen. Uh, and I pray that the word of God will heal. Uh, my prayer is, is that for those who are married, that we would take the principle that we are going to continue talking about today and that we would go home with our husband and our wives and that we would sit at the table and have a very real conversation. That we would look at the word of God and we would say, how can we make our relationship glorify God? Uh, and also that, we would look, that you would look at your own relationships and say, this is where we've been falling short in our relationship with each other and in our relationship with God. I pray for those who are single and who desire to be married 
that you would listen to these principles and that you would prepare yourself for when and if the will of the Lord allows you to get married. Uh, that, you would, that you would sleep and that you would eat, that you would drink with this scripture in mind. And as you are dating or, or courting, that you would, would court that young man or that young woman with this verse in mind. And for those who are single and said, you know what, been down that road, or I've never been down that road, and I really don't want to go down that road, amen, <laughs> who feel that you have the gift of singleness, as Paul calls it, amen. Now, the gift of singleness does not mean that you just made up your mind for the rest of your life you're going to be a player, amen, and you're just going to date and break people's hearts. <laughs> That's not what it means. It means that you feel that you have been called to be single, and that you can be single without falling into sexual uh, temptation. For those who feel that that is what they have been called to do, I pray that you will listen to this series and this message with the intent to learn in order to minister. For you may have, have uh, friends that are not single, that are married, and the Lord may want to use you to minister to them. Amen. Uh, we've all been there. We've all been in that wedding ceremony where the traditional vows are said. Where the preacher or minister stands before two people in the presence of their family and in the presence of an almighty God. And he looks at them. And as they are standing next to each other with goo-goo eyes and some mystical euphoria, they hear these words, do you, sir, take this woman to be your wife, to live together after God's ordinance in a state in a holy estate of matrimony. Will you love her? Will you comfort her? Will you honor her? Will you keep her in sickness and in health for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, in sadness and joy to cherish and continually bestow upon her your heart's deepest devotion? Forsaking all others, keeping yourself only to her as long as you both shall live. We've all stood in a marriage ceremony and witnessed two people make an oath between a holy God and themselves along with their spouse. And many times when we hear that, we don't think about the vow that was just made. When the preacher is saying those words, we're, we're looking at the bride's dress. Some in adoration Others saying, man, she really didn't do a good job picking that one. Man, he, he's, 
He's really not thinking a whole lot about what was just said. He's just looking at her saying, man, I never knew your eyelashes was that long. You're looking good. Parents, they're just overcaught with joy because they, their child is getting married. These words really don't sink in to many because of what comes with the day that someone gets married. And for those of you who don't know, this is not uh, a specific scripture. Uh, these vows will not be found in any book of the Bible explicitly laid out this way. It's not in 1 Corinthians. It's not in Romans. Jesus didn't say these exact words, but Genesis 2.24 uses a term, uses a word that lets us know that God means all of these and more. That he wants a couple to be joined and take these words seriously with even more intent. And this is the word. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. We talked about that last week. And hold fast. So the ESV version says, it says, hold fast. The NIV version, I believe, uses the term unite. The King James version uses the term cleave. For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father, and he shall cleave to his wife. The word cleave in the original Hebrew uh, was a, a very tough word. It was a word that would be equivalent to me just saying a man should stick to always. It's, uh, it's referring to the stick to itness of marriage. That despite the circumstances that one would experience in marriage, that they should do all that they can to work it out. For those who are single and who plan on getting married, I pray that you see the seriousness of marriage. That the vows that a preacher says when he stands at the altar, it is not something that was just merely made up and something that's just cute for the moment, but it is a, a vow that, that God wants you to take seriously. And for this cause, a, a, a person, a, a male and a female, they should consider who they are marrying. And their reasons for marrying need to be big enough and, and strong enough and, and, and bold enough and glorious enough to keep them during the times that they would naturally want to leave. Which means that a man and a woman ought to not marry because they like the way their spouse's hair curls. Or the lack thereof, amen. <laughs> and, 
And they ought to not marry because they like the way that their spouse chews their gum. A woman ought to not marry because she likes the way her husband's or to be six-packs looks or, or, or the way he, he dresses because we know that all of those things are, are circumstantial. Hair fades. Now, many of us, we know that we can just go buy more hair. Sew it, stick it, glue it back on. But still, the reason that one, that two comes together, it needs to be a, a, a big enough reason to, to keep them joined together in sickness, in poverty, through arguments and disagreements. There needs to be a big enough reason. The reason that they are marrying needs to be big enough to keep them when there is no steak on the table. There is no gas in the car. The only reason, the only thing that can keep two people joined together for poor, for, for sickness, the only thing that's big enough to, to keep two people together through situations like that is if they understand the purpose of marriage. And we talked about the purpose of marriage last week. The purpose of marriage is to be an illustration to the world of Christ's love and relationship with the church. That when Christians marry, we marry for a different reason than the world. Our chief end, the, the main reason that we join together is because we understand that the union between a man and a woman was created and represents the union between Christ and the church. Now, there are other reasons too, Mary, but this is the greatest reason. This is the greatest reason. Today, many people, we see marriage... Like the world sees marriage, we see it as a contract rather than a covenant. A contract is something that you can opt out of uh, in some, with, with, with some options. It has options. If you don't meet this, I don't have to do this. Or if you meet this, uh, uh, then I will meet this. A contract is, is, is optional, it's circumstantial. But, but a covenant is not that way. God calls marriage a covenant. It is a serious agreement that only should end. At death. Listen to what God told Israel. Turn your Bibles with me to Malachi. Chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. Amen. See this point. And we are going to. Read, starting at verse 10, going to verse 16. And it says, have we not all one father? This is God talking to Israel. 
about their sins against one another and also their sins against their own family. He says, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our father? Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the, the tents of Jacob any descendants of the man who does this who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings of or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? We see in this text that God is taking marriage seriously. In fact, he says that you all, you are, are coming down to the altar and you're weeping and you're groaning and, and you're, you're calling out to me, but I have not blessed you because you have been faithless to the one whom you married in your youth. And he calls it a covenant. And we see in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, that God calls marriage a covenant. It's not a contract or something that we opt out of as those who are his children. It is something that we go into understanding that it is something that should be taken seriously. The world has a low view of marriage because the world has a low view of God. Folk get married five or six times. Celebrities enter into marriage like it's, like it's just dating. Who are you married to now? Treat marriage as if it is not something sacred. Satan is attacking the, the sanctity of marriage. He's attacking the sacredness of marriage because he knows what marriage is meant to do and what it is supposed to do, that marriage is supposed to glorify God. So while you are going through what you are going through in your marriage, know that you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in, in high places, principalities. The Satan is being intentional in keeping our eyes blind from what the word of God says about this sacred institution and Satan wants us to go through it casually as if it's just a part of life that has no meaning you see what he's doing you see what he's doing with the legislators See what he's doing with your, with your spouse? The first attack that Satan did in the Bible against God's children was against marriage. Didn't attack come to Adam when Adam was single. Came to Adam when Adam was married. Finding a, a weakness in his marriage and exposing it. 
weakness in his marriage was that, that Eve was not holy depending on the word of God. And if we are not holy depending on God's word and allowing God to define what marriage is, our marriage will be like the Catholics belief or the Catholics term purgatory. It will be a punishment. You know, this is not a new problem. This is a problem that was going on since the beginning of marriage. This, this issue of divorce, this issue of I want out. This was a problem that was going on back in the days of Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 3 through 12. And we're going to, to see what, what Jesus said about marriage and what he taught. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, and it says these words, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him, speaking of Jesus, by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become what? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So in essence, Jesus' answer is no, but let's continue. And We'll see. In verse 7 it says, And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Thinking that they caught Jesus by, by going back to Moses, the prophet, the one who wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So Jesus lets them know that from the beginning, God did not design divorce. And the only reason, as we study uh, uh, the law, the only reason why Moses allowed divorce to take place was because women was being so badly mistreated. And men were treating them as property. And then when they were done with them, they would make up a lie and say that, you know, in order to get out their covenant, they would just lie and say that they caught her sleeping around or doing something unlawful. And under the law back then, being caught doing something unlawful meant that you would be stoned to death in order to keep Israel pure. So Moses makes a divorce and says this, this allows divorce and says this, I would not allow this to take place. Uh, so they put uh, uh, allowed divorce to take place. But now we see here in this text that Jesus continues on. And he gives an exception and he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So he says, whoever gets a divorce for any other reasons than sexual immorality, sinning 
as we study and we know sexual immorality and, and as we look at the context of this and we look at Jesus' earliest teachings, we understand that he's not, he's not telling them that you should get a divorce. It's not a way out for those who want a divorce and want to be justified. And they're just thinking, well, she did five years ago. Seven years ago. No, he's not telling you that you should. He's telling you that you could, but he's not telling you that you should. Remember, God did not create marriage for divorce. The disciples looked at Jesus in the same manner that many of you are looking at me now. And they said these words to him. The disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, you're right. <laughs> not everyone will receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been sold from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let one who is able to receive this receive. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to change my stance, which is God's stance, on marriage. If you are saying that it is too hard to go through with the covenant of marriage, he's basically saying, then you should make yourself a eunuch or you should not get married. Because to God, not to Pastor Jamal, well, to Pastor Jamal is a result of God, but to God. Marriage is supposed to communicate a beauty, a beauty that cannot be seen in any other institution. A relationship between Christ, the Savior of the world, and the church. So Genesis chapter 2 Verse 24 says that a man should cleave to his wife, that he should unite to his wife, that he should stick to his wife, that he should do everything in his power to keep that relationship glorifying God. Glorifying God. And the reason that this is difficult and in many instances within Christian, within the body of Christ is because many people simply do not choose their spouse wisely. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And some people are, are miserable in marriage because they are yoked up with someone who is not in Christ. And therefore, they do not know how to appropriately love them. Their spouse does not know how to love them because they don't know the love of Christ. Therefore, their spouse is selfish. Their spouse only thinks about themselves. Their spouse puts other things before them. Because they don't understand what the Bible says about marriage, what God says about marriage, and what God love does to the heart of a believer. So many people seek and want divorce because their spouse is not treating them the way that Christ calls them to treat them. Therefore, those who are single, we should be careful. 
And we should make sure that we are not looking at marrying a little Wayne type. We should make sure that we are seeking to marry someone who has experienced, who has tasted, who has been captured by the grace of God. I know it's tight, but it's right. Wondering why things aren't going right at home. Now, I'll give you the flip side of that. I believe that the majority of Christians who do marry an unbeliever probably married an unbeliever because they at that time was an unbeliever or because they simply just didn't know better and the bible deals with that amen first corinthians chapter 7 verse 3 through 5 first corinthians chapter 7 verse 3 through 5 when you get there say got it amen Actually, I'm going to go to verse 10, and we'll come back to 3 through 5 in a second. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 16. And it says, to save time to the, the married, I give this charge. The wife should not separate from her husband. She shall remain, uh, but if she does, she shall remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and what he's saying, I, but not the Lord, is not saying that this is not necessarily coming from the Lord or from the Holy Spirit, but what he's saying is that this is wisdom from the Lord and not directly a direct quote from something that Jesus said. So he's saying that this is wisdom uh, coming from the Lord, but not a direct quote from the Lord. And he says these words, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So if a wife has married a man who is not a believer and she, she made that mistake or, if, they, or if, if she thought he was a believer and it turns out that he's really not a believer over time, she says that he, she should not divorce him. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So what he's saying that if there's an unbeliever in the house, if a man is married to a woman who is an unbeliever and a woman is married to a man who is an unbeliever, that for the sake of the glory of God, as we're about to read, she should do all that she can to stay with him. If he's consenting to stay in the same house, she should do all that she can. And we see why. And it says to the rest, uh, I'm sorry, and it says, for the unbeliever believing husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. By holy, it does not mean that he is saved, but it means that the grace of God is covering their house, that their household is not cursed. Amen. 
But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, brothers or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husbands, how do you know whether you will save your wives? So God calls for those who are in a relationship that is unequally yoked. He calls for those who are married to do all that they can to stay with that person. In fact, he goes so far, Paul goes so far, and he says, listen, if that person is consenting to stay in the same house with you, you allow them to stay in the same house, you stay married in order that they will come to know the Lord. In other words, he's saying that you are their only hope, or you are the, the measure of hope, I'll say. You are the, the, the substance of hope that God has put in their lives, and God can use you to change their lives. But... Their lives will not be changed if you are not acting like a Christian. An unbelieving husband will not be won over to the Lord if you are acting a fool just like he is. If you are going rally for rally, he will not come to the Lord, at least not as a result of you. If you are fussing and cussing and acting a fool and cutting up just like him, you're not helping. That's what the proverb said. It says, love your enemies. So if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. And Jesus goes on and he quotes that proverb out, out in, uh, on the Sermon on, on the Mount. For he said, it will be like heaps of coal on the other person's head. Be like coal heated up on their dome. And they'll be walking around so frustrated, so irritated because they won't understand why you are loving them even though they have declared and made themselves your enemy. And that's the type of love that changes people. That's what the proverb says. Exactly what, what Christ said on a sermon on the mount. When he was teaching these, his disciples to have a radical type of love, if someone slaps you on the left cheek, turn and allow them to slap you on the other. That's not an argument saying that you should let somebody beat you up, but what he was saying, to be slapped in Jewish culture, if someone slaps you on the left cheek, that means they had to backhand you with their right hand. And to be backhanded was just as disrespect, disrespectful back then than it was today. To be slapped open-handedly in Jewish custom was the, one of the worst signs of respect. But Christ was saying the way that you will, you will lead other people to me is by allowing them to humiliate you in order that you can point to him and say that I'm going to love you past what you just did because he loved me past what I did. Oh, it's not popular. Amen. Y'all going to go home and watch T.D. Jakes tonight just to get stirred up. Amen. But it's the truth. Martin Luther King said it best. He said, darkness cannot cast out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate cannot cast out hate. Only love can do that. Marriage 
should, a Christian marriage should be a beautiful illustration to the world of the love of Christ. principle goes on and says this. After he says, and, his, and he says, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father and hold fast to his wife, and he says, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. They shall become one flesh. Now, when we look at this, the first thing we think about, uh, or many people, when they quote this, they, they talk about, they think about a sexual union. Or as one theologian calls it, the marriage act. For sex is supposed to be an act of marriage. And anything, sex outside of marriage, is degrading. It is sin. It is unpleasing to God. So the marriage act or sexual intimacy is one way in which a man and a woman comes together to become one flesh. And that's what God calls them to do. In fact, the reason why is because that the, the, the marriage act is a symbol of two people becoming one. And for people who are running around doing the marriage act outside of marriage, they are joining themselves with multiple people and creating soul ties with people. That's why we say wait till you marry. That's why. Because there is something there. It is a, a symbol. It is a sign. It is a, a joining together. It's a joining together. Praise God for deliverance. Praise God for healing. Praise God for grace. Praise God for forgiveness. Amen. Two shall become one flesh. But uh, this, Paul even expounds on this when he says, that's why a man should not keep himself from his wife. For his body is no longer his own, but it's actually owned by his wife and a wife should not keep herself from her husband for her body is no longer her own but it's his and Paul says that if you are going to keep your body from your spouses then make sure you come together and agree and the next part of this is profound but yet, common sense. He said, at least you enter into temptation. In other words, if Papa's not getting fed at home. Y'all are too saved, amen. Can't believe he's saying this in front of the kids. Do you know what they're listening to? Do you know what the school systems are telling them? Folk try to act all dignified. Like they don't know. They probably can teach you something. 
If the church can't talk about real issues, who can? Listen up. The reason why <laughs> this is so beautiful. This, this is so beautiful. And the reason why it's so beautiful is because God allows a man and a woman, two individuals, to come together and to be one. And the way that, that God has intended it is, is for these, these two individuals to be more intimate and to have uh, the most intimate and deepest relationship that there is. The beauty of marriage is that God is calling together two individuals to be more intimate than any other union. That these two people, now their thoughts become each other's thoughts. Their, their ways should start becoming each other's ways. And, and their, their, their values become each other's values. You know, me and Amber, we have a problem. And this is our problem. Before we got married, people thought we were brother and sister. They said y'all look just alike. That's a problem. <laughs> because that's not necessarily a good thing. So then we start going back to the family tree and we found out that we were actually, our family originated from the same area. So we got real nervous. And after doing some research, we found out that we were not related. I say that to say this. A man and a woman, after they've been married for so long, they begin to almost look alike. It looks strange to look at one and not see the other. It feels strange to, to talk to one and not ask about how the other is doing. Because there is an intimacy there now that, that God has made two people to become one. The reason why this is so hard the Christian faith for two to become one is because we don't protect that unity. We let everything or other things get in the way between our, me and, 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 our, and my spouse or you and your spouse. And God has called the two to become one. There should be nothing that separates you two. Now, for the next five minutes, I'm going to expound exactly on what I mean by nothing. I mean nothing. I mean nada. I mean zip, zero, nothing. Some people are not becoming one flesh with their spouse because their job interferes. Well, pastor, uh, uh, my hours won't allow me to. My, our, our work schedule don't allow us to come together. Listen to me. The two shall become one flesh. God has not called you to be more committed to a career than to your spouse. Folk care more about getting a promotion. I know it's tight, but it's right. Care more about the dollar than they do the other person trying to get a, a bigger and better house and won't be able to enjoy it together. So the proverb said, the proverb said, better is a meal with herbs or vegetables and love is present 
than a meal with, uh, with a fatty calf or steak and love is absent. Sitting around here wanting to eat steak, but miserable while you eat it. Give me some ramen noodles. And some of us, we need to reconstruct our work schedules and take a lesser job in order to fulfill the commandment of God. God does not bless mess. And if mess is being blessed, it's not God. God would never give you anything that would take you further away from him. And if you have a blessing in your life that is separating you from God, it is not God that's blessing, it is Satan. Satan took Jesus on a mountaintop and said, if, if, if you just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Satan can bless too. Because he is the prince of this world. Some of us can't become one flesh because we got friends in the way. Well, we, me and my husband, you know, we don't really get to spend a lot of time together. What does your schedule look like? Well, this is my schedule, and we do this, and Friday night is the girls' night, and we go out, and we get manicures and pedicures, and that's our movie night. Okay? Well, see, we've been friends for a very long sweetheart, when you get married got to drop some baggage, cut them off, let them know we won't be able to do it every week. Maybe once a month, but not every week. This is, this is my boy time, you know. I come to work and I'm, I'm a part of this. We go play basketball two days a week. And, and I don't know why she just don't understand. I'm just trying to stay in shape and keep myself together. Now, if I wasn't in shape, she wouldn't want to be with me. But now I'm trying to be in shape and she complaining because I'm getting in shape. It's our time, my time with my boys. I need that time. And the only time that you give her is, hey, baby, how you doing? How was your day? How's the kids? Okay, good night. It's a miracle when y'all get away together. It's a miracle when y'all do something outside the box. It's a, a miracle when y'all have a conversation that doesn't repeat every day. Going to the club with your friends. <laughs> Amen. Can I be real? Satan will not have the dominion and authority in Forest Baptist Church as long as I'm here. Amen. By the grace of God. Won't tell it like it is. Not trying to be popular. Some of us can't become one flesh because of the television. Say the average Christian spends four hours a day watching TV. Four, you know what time everything comes on. <laughs> TV guy. 
every reality show you know. Know all the contestants cry when somebody gets kicked off. I don't know why he got rid of her. Ray J, I liked her. <laughs> Television is zapping intimacy. What happened to the late night phone conversations? Remember that? Used to call each other, sneak and call each other late at night. Now you hardly want to talk to them. The TV talking to both of y'all. Talk more to the TV than you do them. I don't, I just seem like I just don't know him no more. Of course you don't. Don't even know he's sitting next to you. He try to interrupt you doing your show. My show's on. He just don't talk to me no more. The two shall become one flesh. I encourage every married couple here to challenge themselves and to pick a day of the week where you cut off the television, all electronics, and at night you spend valuable time with your spouse. Cut off the cell phone, cut off the television, cut off Facebook, the computer, MySpace, everything. And if y'all are not having a good time, you just force each other to look at each other right upside the side of his head until y'all learn to enjoy each other's presence again. The reason why your marriage is failing is because you don't communicate. And when you do communicate, you're only talking about one thing. Which is the third thing that separates people from becoming one flesh. It's the children. I'm about to leave it alone. Amen. Can I have five minutes? Can I have one minute? I got six minutes. Okay. God said that the two shall become one flesh. He did not say that a man, a wife, and their children shall become one flesh. Some of us, we have more devotion to our kids than we do our husband and wife. Our whole life revolves around little baby. Well, pastor, I, I just, you know, I really don't have a, we really just don't have no money right now. Well, let me, let me, let me take a look at your, your bank statements. Let's sit down and let's try to work out, maybe we can work out a budget for you. Well, what was this $175 for right here? Oh, the new Jordans came out, and, and little Bebe just had to have the little mics, the new mics. We, you know, we got to keep them clean. Talking about we, we don't have any money to go out and do anything together. And he walking around with a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. We don't have no time for each other. Well, 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 what is he, what is your child involved in? Six sports. Six sports. What kind of sports? Well, basketball, football, baseball, water polo, uh, skiing. Anything we can find, we get them involved in.
kids running us crazy. Pick them up from this. Pick this up from this. Go do this. Pick them up from this. Pick this up from this. Pick this up from this. Pick this up from this. Go do this. Run and do this. Buy this. Get this. Got that. Get this. Get this. And half the stuff we're getting are not needs. Wondering why the romance is not there. Wondering why the conversation is not there. Wondering why the joy is not there. Because the two shall become one flesh. You would do more good for your children. Mark my words. You would do more good for your child telling your child no. I cannot buy you the new Jordans. Because mama and daddy want to see a movie sometime. Than buying your kids Jordans and being miserable with your spouse. Your child will learn, grow, and have value for marriage if they see your marriage looking good. If they see mama kissing daddy for no reason. If they see mama and daddy going on walks in the middle of the week for no reason. If they see mama and daddy with the TV off looking at each other with goo-goo eyes. If they see mama and daddy caressing one another every now and then. Now don't be disrespectful, but showing love. Your child will value that in the long run. Mama said I couldn't play this sport. Told me to concentrate on these two sports. Son, don't even like the sport. It has fun on the bench. Got to keep them in this sport. Satan is destroying Christian marriages due to a lack of biblical sense. I'm not going to call it common. I'm going to call it biblical sense. Relationship between a man and a wife, a man and his, and his wife, a husband and his wife, a man and his woman, whatever. It's a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage is a picture of self-sacrifice, of self-forgetting. Praise God. Praise God for, for Christ's commitment to the church. We are so eager and so easily ready ready to just let go of a covenant. I praise God that Christ has not let go of a covenant. I praise God that he is faithful to his word, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And you can sit there and act like we got it all together or like you got it all together, but let's be real. He loves you in spite of you. What would happen if God all of a sudden said, I'm just going to divorce the the church. What would happen if all of a sudden God was to say, Revelation, that picture of the church before my throne is no longer what I want because they have gotten on my last nerve? What if God was to make his promises void? We would have no hope. And may those of us who are in a situation to improve our marriage. May we take Christ's picture and his promises and may we hold on to them and remember 
that when we act a fool, there are people watching. People waiting to scorn. People who are going to have a low view of the God we serve. I pray that of all the things that can be said at Forest Baptist Church, that these few things will be said. The singles at Forest Baptist Church, they are waiting and they are wise. And that those who are married at Forest Baptist Church are in love. And it's a love that will not be found on TV. It's a love that will not be found in our unsaved neighbors. It's a, a love that is so deep to it causes the world to ask, what's the secret? What's the secret? Let us pray. Father, I pray that you were glorified today. I pray that you will minister to every single soul here as they leave your presence and as we take communion. That those who are, are single will look at marriage as a glorious thing, the deepest picture of human intimacy. I pray, Father God, for that husband that's just holding on, waiting for his wife, and that wife that's holding on, waiting for her, her husband. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength to love their spouse unconditionally. To see that love is not an emotion or a feeling, but love is a commitment to treat the other person the way that Christ treats us. The person who's went through divorce and who feels guilty and condemned, may you remind them, may you remind them that there is no condemnation in Christ. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.